This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Okay, so <clears throat> what we have here is a great opportunity to communicate to people some business learnings. And we've got Jason Miller, right? Talk to Larry Farwell and Dan Vega, right? And I always like to kick things off with, and Jason knows this because we've done about 300 of them now. <laughs> and I guess we'll go this direction. Sure? Fair? Yeah, okay. sure. Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Larry? Which direction? Larry. You. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. No, I come from, my, my father was a nuclear physicist, and I grew up in a scientific family, and, and I'm a scientist myself. I'm a neuroscientist. Okay. A neuroscientist. Okay. So now, was it sort of you were brought up and they asked you, hey, are you interested in this? Would you like to move forward with this? Is this something you want to be a part of? Or did you yourself follow behind them, you know, looking at the breadcrumbs and going, that's what this means. And I want to be more of this. Is that sort of how it started for you? Well, when I was a kid, of course, I admired my dad. I, I was always curious about everything. And I would ask my dad about everything. I wanted to understand how it worked. And I'd, you know, I'd, I'd turn on a light switch. And it was, it, dad, you know, this light, how does that light go on when I turn this switch? So I, w I was always interested in, in trying to understand things from a scientific perspective, what causes what. And I was also deeply interested in human beings and what, how do we create our lives? What, what, what can we do to create a life that's really thrilling to live? So I wanted to combine those science with, with development of human life. Okay. And now at what point? Because now we're going to fast forward. At some point you hit actual university, which is a given, given the career you were, you were brought <laughs> into. At some point university was going to make sense, right? So you get there. When do you lay stake to the claim and say, this is what I want to do professionally? Because it's one thing to have a passion. That's uh -huh. another to decide, this is what I want to do and how I'm going to make my living. Yeah. Well, and I went to Harvard and I thought, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to find all the, you know, the smartest guys and they're going to know everything. And when I got there, I mean, I'd been interested in, in development of consciousness and enlightenment for years. And I got there and they were really good at what they were doing. They're really intellectually smart. But they didn't know any more about life than I did. And at least I knew what I didn't know. So I knew that I wanted to do this kind of work professionally, but I wanted to do work in science that actually makes a difference in people's lives and that makes a difference in people expressing and delving into themselves and, and creating who they are. And that for that, I decided to study the brain. Yeah, see, now we're getting into something. Because what's there's a, and I'm sure you've heard of this, there's a common joke that if you want to get a scientist to actually solve a problem, right? <laughs> then they have to work outside of the university, right? And now most business owners, I think, can respect this. It's sort of similar with a lot of nonprofits where there's a lot of money that has gone towards them, and yet the problem doesn't seem to go away, right? So there's this funny thing, right? So I'm trying to bridge two worlds here, the world of business and such. At some point, you had to look at grants. <clears throat> and 
that creates allegiances and your research has to sort of follow along that. How do you yourself toe that line between getting where you want to go, which is impacting the world, which is a childhood dream, yeah. to also taking care of business? Yeah. Well, I was a research associate at Harvard for some time. I, I left to work on my own. And the, the way that I did it was actually not through grants. While I was still a grad student, I had invented brain fingerprinting, which is a technique to dissect concealed information in the brain. So you can know scientifically who the terrorist masterminds are, who the serial killers are, who the innocent people in prison are by measuring their brainwaves. And I had invented that. I was still in grad school. I said, well, I'm, I'm going to go to Washington, D.C., and I'm getting a million-dollar contract with the CIA to, to do this because I invented it. And all of my friends who knew more about it than I did say, well, you'd never be able to do that. But, I, but that's exactly what I did. I went to Washington, D.C. I got a million-dollar contract with the CIA because they saw the, the value of what I was doing. So that was my beginning in business. And again, I'm a, I'm a neuroscientist, not really a, a businessman, although I've, I've been forced to be a bit of an entrepreneur. But, th but that's the way I started out. I saw, I saw there was, some, there was a, a problem with lack of truth in the world. And you know, people getting away with, literally getting away with murder. And in every realm of life, you see a, a lack of truth, attacks on truth. I thought, well, I have a way of detecting the truth and it's in a scientific way. So I thought, well, here's a problem I can address. And if I can address that, I can people who want it. And that's how it worked out. Not to commandeer this interview, but I think it's so interesting how you actually invented it. You know, you had somebody that had an accident and it was kind of out of necessity that innovation was spawned out of necessity. Yeah, yes, what happened is I was mining my business in my lab and measuring brainwaves. And we were getting information out of people's brains without them t saying anything or moving their hands or anything else. We were studying the brain. And a kid fell off a silo and he was paralyzed from the eyeballs down. And I thought, well, heck, we can get information from the brain. So the first thing I invented was the first brain-computer interface where you can take, he could communicate with his brainwaves to a computer, to a speed synthesizer, so he could to talk through a computer. Is this the Stephen Hawking sort of device? Uh, uh, yes, he actually uses a joystick, but Stephen Hawking could use this. And the first thing, this, this kid had been paralyzed for 12 years, and his mom had been taking care of him. So the first thing he said when he could communicate through the computer and the speech synthesizer was, hello, mom, how are you? Wow. So, wow. At least we made someone's mom happy. <laughs> yeah, now there's a room full of business people, and even some people who've been in the military for more than two decades, right? The implications of your technology are huge. Now, how do you, it's just kind of like the Tony Stark uh, issue, right? Where can you privatize world peace, right? That, that's the question. Because if we're going to be, and now I see why he said uh, earlier, Dan was talking about how he would make the most incredible you know, comic book villain because oh, yeah. this technology in the wrong hands, right? I mean, brainwave fingerprinting? Yeah. Well, actually, a lot of the wrong hands in the world, a lot of the real bad guys in the world have approached me, and I haven't shared it with them. Also, uh, in the right hands, you find out the truth. We can find out who the... I've done this. You develop a test to detect the record of the planning of a major terrorist attack. Whoa. And you can find out... And usually, the, the higher-up people, either in organized crime or in terrorism, they don't get caught because they, they don't show up at the crime themselves. But they have that record stored in their brain. So now that we can detect that record, I've designed tests to, to detect the, the terrorist masterminds behind major terrorist hijackings, shootings, bombings, all kinds of things like that. And 
innocent people who are in prison. I've gotten innocent people out of prison who didn't commit the crime. So the truth will set you free. I mean, uh, an objective scientific way of determining the truth is it's a positive influence. Now, anything has a double-edged sword. All science does. But used properly, it, it's useful. Is there, is there anything that can indicate <clears throat> entrepreneurship capacity through brainwave fingerprinting? Sort of the same way maybe we can type into ADHD and things of that nature? Well, which tend to be entrepreneurs. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, you can, you can use a similar technology to determine not only what information is stored, but how well the brain is functioning. And when you have an aha experience, there is a brainwave pattern that's called a memory and encoding related multifaceted electroencephalographic response. Right. <laughs> of course. Yeah, that thing. M-E-R-M-E-R. -E -E so that's a, a murmur. We call it like a, a murmur <clears throat> moment. And that's when you have an aha experience. Now, you can take advantage of that to because when you have an aha experience, your brain is open for reprogramming. You can take advantage of that to help people to learn and to create. Fascinating. Before we go any further, I want to put a pin on that because I also want to take an opportunity to dive into this. And I'm going to ask you the same thing, Dan. Do you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs? How about no? <laughs> uh, no, I, not at all. My uh, father was a, uh, a salesman of many things he tried. And my mom was a teacher's aide. And uh, so we were, I mean, amazing parents. They loved me, but definitely in that environment of survive, uh, not thrive in abundance. But they, they certainly did the best they can. Teaching and salesmanship. Well, it's no mystery to me that I see you now teaching and helping people sell in a capacity that I think truly comes from the heart. At what point did you decide you weren't going to settle for just that, whatever that might be? Yeah, so I just never really got school. And I'm not knocking school. But for me personally, it was like I just didn't know how I was going to use most of this stuff. And I, I probably, I think people have that entrepreneur spirit or they don't. I just, for me, I was going to probably go my own way. I remember, and I was always in trouble in school, actually. So I remember when I was like in 10th grade, my dean pulled me aside and he really liked me because I was always fighting and frustrated. And my dad was a great guy, but he had a lot of demons and he had, it was a severe alcoholic, very abusive in many ways. And, uh, and so this guy knew a lot of the situation and he would try to kind of be a guide for me. And he said, Dan, have you applied to any colleges? I mean, your grades, you're a D minus student. And uh, I'm worried that you're not going to get into a university. And I mean, at this point, most universities are going to be off the table. But uh, even a trade school, learn a craft. And he said, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell you for sure, definitively, college is absolutely the path for success. And I was like, I got to be honest. I don't think it's my path. Like, well, this, I said, might be the right path for you, no judgment, but I'm probably going to go my own way and just take my chances. So I was like 10th or 11th grade, and he's like, God, man. He's like, you're so smart. If you apply yourself, I said, I know, but I'm going to go this way. So then he said something like, to the effect, actually, he said, you're either going to be pumping gas somewhere. That, when you're old, that's what our parents used to tell us, right? <laughs> Probably going to be pumping gas somewhere or you're going to be a millionaire. He said that, and I go, yeah, I'll take my chances with that. And I think that's the entrepreneur's spirit. So I tried two jobs. When I was 18, I um, 
worked in the warehouse of Bass Pro, uh, filling orders behind the scenes. Not great. I lasted three months, and and uh, and then I deboned chickens uh, in a plant for three months, and then I just and of course I cut grass and did all the normal. Hispanic stuff, Larry. And uh, <laughs> I just basically came to this conclusion like, I'm out. I'm not doing this. I'm going to do something else. And I, fortunately, I had good mentors. And I try to do twice as much listening as talking. And for me, that's a lot of listening. And, uh, and then, you know, I was extremely lucky. See, because now what I want to do is I want to start bridging uh, this this conglomerate we've got right here, right? Because we have, I think, a really interesting mix of people. So at some point in your career, you eventually come across, and I think you've spoken about this at length with everyone here, you come across Bellwether, right? Which not only puts you in touch with Dr. Larry Farwell and Jason Miller and everyone here, mm-hmm. right? Now, looking far back, did you ever see yourself as you decided, I'm going to change things? Did you ever see yourself being the person who's up there helping teach and helping people unlock the potential that they have? I mean, the humble answer would be no, but absolutely saw it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you set out on this thing of like, I didn't know how, but I'm like, I want to do something big. I want to do something positive. And I think the driving factor for a lot of entrepreneurs, I say this all the time, of course, it's impact. Others focus, want to help people. But a huge part of what really drives a true entrepreneur is you have to know what your limitations are and what what you're capable of with your foot all the way down to the floor, pedal to the metal. So you'll have wins and you'll have successes, but you're like, man, I think there was more in there. I want to find out if no one else knows, I have to know for me before I die, what am I absolutely capable of at the max red line? And I've had some wins, but I, I don't think I've still hit that point where it's Okay, that was my that was my limitation. And I think that true entrepreneurs, that's a big driving force of just knowing what you're actually able to do in the world and how big of an impact and splash that you can make. So I, I knew that early on. I just had no idea the how. And a lot of people know the story, but I, I happened to have these really great mentors for some reason. They took an interest in me and wanted to mentor me. And after the fifth or sixth mentor, I... I landed on a guy that was the one of the Forbes 400 who was number 25 at the time and you know timing has a lot to do with success he had lost a kid roughly my age uh, in a tragic accident and I, I didn't have that father figure so we kind of filled this void as a mentor mentee relationship but as I grew and as he got older we it became very collaborative and partners and other things and so and that eventually led to my nomination in the organization as well. And honestly, my trick to success has been surround myself with people like Larry and Jason and others in Bellwether and just like that rubs off on me, right? Yeah, no, and, and now I want to take a chance. Jason, when you first heard of Bellwether and what they were doing, knowing that you were building the Strategic Advisor Board and you had your own community, right? But then you discovered this group, and because we've interviewed several bellwethers on the podcast, I've yet to come across a single bellwether who didn't come across a person of substance, a person of passion, and a person of heart, right? Someone who genuinely wants to do good for the world. And that's great PR, <coughs> by the way, because bellwether really lives up to that. So when you first came across them and you started finding out that we had neuroscientists, you know, and, and, and people who literally rags to riches, 
What was your impression of that? And what made you decide to go all in the way you have? Because I've seen that you have. So there's two sides of that coin. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So the, had I not been nominated by somebody I knew and trusted, highly trusted, which was Otis McGregor, Mm. um, we have that military bond, right? We both retired from the military. He lives 40 miles from me. You know, we broke bread, drank beer, smoked cigars, all those things together. And he said, you know, do your own diligence, but I think this is something you might want to actually take a look at. And the difference was if I would have got a cold email, I would have went, delete, right? But since he said, I think you should take a look at this, I've never been a part of an organization like this before in my life. And so 90% of that was already yes. So at that point, all I needed to do was be exposed to a few people, have some conversations. Dan and I had a couple of conversations. And uh, I knew right away that we were like-minded. Now I know how much even more like-minded we are after being here. <laughs> and, and I was all in. And once I go all into something, it's all in. There's, there's no half-ass in anything. It's, it's 100% foot on the gas, go, go, go. And, and I found that the mindset of most people here is very much that, right? Because um, I always have to surround myself with people that are like me and want to go, not sit on the fence and wait for something to happen because nothing comes from that. So you, you have to be off the fence, running the sprint, foot on the gas all the time if you want to actually build an empire, right? And you want to change the world. You want to be somebody that can actually make a changing impact. And, and it's like I was, telling, I was telling him earlier today, he probably saved my life a few times in Afghanistan, you know, by finding some bad guys, yeah. you know, that who knows? I mean, I'll never know, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I'm sure you saved some people for sure and that's a special thing to get to say my friend yeah and uh that's something you should be like really proud of and uh you know to be able to make that kind of impact in people's lives that's it's an amazing thing so thank thank you for putting all your life into that Mm -hmm. thank you and this is the creation of a miracle yeah right Right. (laughs) which is what many here are seeking to do on an everyday basis. Now, this is your earlier work, right? We didn't even have a chance to go into that. So being one who considers the idea, the notion of a miracle, of course, neuroscience is a path that's going to come up at some point, right? Quantum physics and this and that. What was that like originally for you when you first stepped into that? Did you have a miracle happen to you that caused you to think, I need to turn this into a formulaic process that people can repeat through the scientific method or what did that look like for you but actually brilliant question that's exactly what it looked like i had a number of miracles in my life and i think everybody is here has had miraculous experiences that were just so improbable that they couldn't happen by chance but they had never proven that in the the laboratory and so my dad is a physicist 
And he and I set out to, to show, all right, can we create a miracle? Now, in quantum mechanics, anything is possible. So you, it's not like a miracle is an impossible thing. It's just an extremely improbable thing. So we thought, well, can we create extremely improbable events? And we've all had things like that, but we didn't know the probability. Now, we do know the probability distribution of alpha particle emission by plutonium. And so that was something we could measure. It was a quantum mechanical process. And what all of the great spiritual traditions, all the wise people through thousands of years have said, you create a resonance on the level of your consciousness that moves nature in that resonance, or we'd say today that moves a conscious unified field in that resonance. And that's the field from which quantum particle wave phenomena arise. So you set up this resonance on the level of your consciousness, and that's how you create your life and you create your universe. But nobody's shown that in the laboratory. So we said, all right, we'll see if we can create a miracle. We could, we'll see if we can create a spectacularly improbable event. So we found that we could. Just using consciousness alone, we could shift the probability distribution of quantum mechanical events. And it, well, you know, it just means we could make stuff happen on the quantum mechanical level, which means since the whole universe is, quantum, is just quantum mechanical particle wave phenomena, since everything you create in your life is simply interactions in the quantum, of the quantum field, of the conscious unified field, it means that all of those miraculous experiences you've had are real. And we then developed systematic techniques to apply that science of creating miracles to create miracles in your life. And I, I wrote a book called The Science of Creating Miracles, Neuroscience, Quantum Physics, and Living the Life of Your Dreams. And that's what it's about. I can see, uh, based on what I've heard earlier in the event, I think it was yesterday, what Dan talked about probabilities and, you know, math. I love this stuff. Yeah. Right up that, my That's some deep stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're getting see, deep now. I can see why you're like, yeah, man. And it's funny because there is something, sometimes you can come across people where you'll find a miraculous way to create problems between each other. Like, somehow we always find the craziest ways to argue. And, you know, and the same can be said the opposite, where, like, for example, I have the fortune of having met Jason, which brought me here, right? So in a lot of ways, for me, it's a miracle to be here. Like, suffice, you know, I'm sure everyone here has an experience where they're like, I can't even believe I'm in this room with all these people, right? So Bellwether is, in spirit of things, creating miracles just by bringing a lot of these minds together. How many people here have actually read Think and Grow Rich? Right. A number of people. And one of the things they talked about was creating the mastermind and getting certain people together. I think it was uh, Firestone and uh, Ford and a few others would go out into a cabin for like three months, removed from everyone. And they would not only charge each other's batteries, which I imagine, you know, when you get certain minds together, what they can do to synchronize with uh, whatever neuro vocabulary you want to throw <laughs> into it. Right. Uh, and that's sort of what I feel like is happening here. So what I want to ask each one of you, given that all of you have had incredible success in the things that you're doing and you haven't even hit your limit yet, mm -hmm. right? What's one thing you want everyone to walk away with at a bottom line, bare minimum? My bottom line, if you're listening and you're facing an obstacle, this is the key or the coin I want you to hold. We'll start here and then there and then there. Yeah, I just want to expound on one thing you said about, about the organization. So. When people, like Jason said, somebody that you trust says, hey, there's an organization you should go in, it's like 90%. I know this person, so they're not going to stand me wrong. But for the large percentage that don't go forward, um, it's usually because um, they, they're having a hard time managing fear. And we get the question all the time they write into Bellwether, 
I don't think it's real. Like I know my friend or whatever, but I don't think that an organization like this could exist in today's world. Like people are basically bad. Like that's what they've been, that's become their narrative. And I don't think that's true at all. But it's like, I just don't think that this credo could be adopted by a large people around the world in this, in today's society. And, you know, really, I think in itself, it is a miracle because it's thriving in multiple countries. You go anywhere, you have instant family that will take you in their homes. And it's just something that I truly believe is a miracle. Uh, the other question that you asked, what do I want people to take away? You know, for me, the reason I get out of bed in the morning and still do what I do, and usually I'm out till 2, 3 a.m. with people because I care. I just want to help. And I wake up energized, right? Not tired. And I just want people to know that it's not just possible to, to have the level of success that, that you feel like that, uh, that you dream about or feel like that potentially you deserve, but it actually is probable, mm -hmm. right? You're doing most things right. And there's a couple of tweaks. It's not so much labor, hard work, decades of more pain and suffering. It's probably a couple of tweaks, a few adjustments, implementing a reframing a few things, right? And abiding by just a simple few laws, hard perimeters, like a couple of tweaks. And you can truly create significant change in your life. Uh, generational wealth, thrive in love, relationships, health, all those things within just a few short years. And we see it over and over and over and over again in this organization. And um, none of us can attain that unless somebody leads us to these answers. And then we surround ourselves with a community of people that also are trying to do it together and that they're supportive and they have your back and they're, they're elevating each other. And so that's what I want people to, to, to bite off on. It's like, look, it's not just possible. You know, it's, it doesn't matter what environment you came out of and how hard it was and all that jazz. That's not relevant. The fact of the matter is you're here now and it's probable that you can do this and you can do it in a very short amount of time if you're plugged in and you are. And I'm here to help, of course, in any way. And we have, of course, amazing others in the room that can, that can assist you. Awesome. Dr. Larry, if people had to walk away from this. <clears throat> and Professor Farwell just dropped it out there, right? right? What do people need to know about the implications of of brain fingerprinting, neuro fingerprinting, whichever the right term is, and, and the science of creating miracles? What do you want them to walk away with from this? All right. Well, first of all, I'd like to agree strongly with the what uh, all of you have expressed, that getting involved with Bellwether has been a miracle for me. I think it's been a miracle for everybody that I know. Getting to know and resonate with people like Dan and Jason has been really miraculous for me. So that, that I think that's an example of the science of creating miracles. <clears throat> now what I would say to anybody who's listening or viewing us here is, if we take advantage of the, the reality of the way the universe works and the reality of the way the brain works, you can really transmute a, a lot of things in your life that have seemed negative into something that, that actually is an opportunity. And I'll give you an example. We carry around within ourselves an inner blueprint that we radiate and then that moves nature and, and we get a life that is in accord with that blueprint. And when something comes along that seems to be a challenge to us or seems to be a detriment to us. Usually it seems to be a challenge to value, safety, or power. 
Now we carry around an inner blueprint that says, well, we're only 75% safe and 64% powerful and 82% valuable. We resonate with that. Nature gives us experiences that correspond to that. And now we have all this objective evidence out there that I really am not fully valuable. The truth is you are this conscious unified field, which is unbounded, which is 100% safe, 100% powerful, 100% valuable. How do you get from where we are now, where things come along that seem the, to give us the opposite message, to where we're resonating with your true resonance. And for that, you take advantage of the way the brain works. You're crawling around on the floor, example. You're crawling around on the floor, you're two years old, you touch the floor, you touch the wall, you touch the table leg, not much happens there. You touch the hot stove, you have an aha experience. You have what we call a murmur moment. Now that, the disadvantage is, oh, there's a negative experience. Actually, you can have a murmur moment from a very positive experience. You know, you touch somebody beautiful and lovely that you're in love with, you know, that's a positive murmur moment. But a lot of them are negative. Some, someone does or says something, something comes along that really gets to you, triggers you, and attacks or appears to attack your value, safety, and power. Now, what most people do is to shoot the messenger, punish the messenger, externalize it, react, or internalize it. Oh, well, really, maybe I am a horrible person. Neither of those are very effective. So my take-home message <laughs> would be, when something comes along that triggers you, the resonance is what it feels like to be with you at that very silent level. The intellect shouts, the emotions scream, the intuition whispers. So it's on a quiet level. So instead of getting triggered by these things when something like that comes along, tune into yourself. Resonate with that level of yourself where you sense you're 100% safe, 100% valuable, 100% powerful. That is your true resonance. And when you, it's like when you pluck a guitar string, it sets up a resonant frequency that's picked up by other things in nature. Then you radiate that and that, then you create that kind of a life. So, for, so from here forward, when something comes along that really triggers you, you, you can have a little smile at the corners of your mouth because you think, aha, this is an opportunity. This isn't a detriment. This is an opportunity. I can tune into who I really am. And re because this murmur moment, it opens your mind up for reprogramming, just like touching the hot stove. So you can transmute that entire negative experience into something that's an opportunity to evolve, to create, to become more true to yourself, and to create the life of your dreams. Wow. You can look at obstacles as an opportunity, not necessarily to grow and challenge yourself, but to unlock more of what you already are capable of. So if you were feeling like, today I'm going to be 60%, the minute something triggers you, that kinetic energy, that atmospheric energy, that internal energy can be turned on its head to be used as a launch pad for anything. Did I understand that? Brilliant. What he said. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Okay. Jason, as a man of many businesses, a crazy career in the military and what you saw there and why, you know, dodging bullets is the last thing on your mind when you're in business now, right? Just computer feels like it. Yeah, you know what I mean? You're like, you, you've seen that, you're like, stress. This isn't stress. I can, I can deal with this, right? What do you want people to walk away with knowing that you, you not only build communities, you have multiple businesses, and you've seen the ugliest sides of life. What can you leave people with here today? So on the business side, it's the biggest thing is set your exit and then put your foot on the gas and don't let it off and just go. Don't look back. Don't be afraid. Don't make judgments along the way. Just go. And when everything goes to shit, <laughs> right? 
just get back up and keep going. Put the boots back on and keep on moving, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't have a choice, right? You have to look at it that way. I don't have to, I don't have a choice. I have to get back up today because there's people that count on me, right? There's people that count on that, that the payroll conversation you and I have a lot, right? So there's people with payroll that, you know, they have families. They, they need to be able to support their families. You made that commitment to them that you were going to take care of them, right? So, you know, make a plan, you know, a loose plan. Put your foot on the gas and don't turn, don't turn around. Don't look back. Take the rear view mirrors off. Get rid of all that, right? And just look forward. Now, second, on the other side of the coin would be don't view life through skepticism, right? Mm -hmm. Stop viewing things in life with a skeptical start, right? Of that's the first place you go. Oh, I don't know. Can that be real? <laughs> or I wonder if this person can actually do what they say they can do. You got to a little bit depend on the human dimension that most people are good and they're trying mm -hmm. to do good things for you, right? There's always the exception, but, but don't look at life through a lens of being skeptical about everything and say yes more. Say yes more. Stop saying no, right? And say yes. I mean, if somebody asks you to jump off a bridge, obviously not, but I'm just saying with, with most things in life, yes will get you way farther than no. Because no, that's a dead end. There's nothing after that, right? Now, sometimes no means just not right now, right? Because maybe it's not the right time, but... Try to say yes way more than you say no. And you'll find it's the most refreshing thing you'll do this year. Next year. I mean, it's already almost next year. So, but start doing it now and you're going to find in your life what that changes. Not, not just about your business, but how you feel every day. Mm -hmm. Because you have this positive sense of yes all the time. Right? Hey, you want to go to lunch? Absolutely. Let's go do that. Right? Or, or whatever it might be. So try to embrace some of these just simple, simple things. Larry, that, some of the stuff, it just blows my mind. But, um, but we'll spend more time and you can teach me a little bit more about that. Um, but try to just handle the simple things, right, in your life that you're surrounded by and master those things. Do that first. Master yourself. Be the master of yourself. Yeah. And that'll take you a long ways. I say something somewhere all the time of how do we start? It's like, well, if you can't control eight feet around you, it's really freaking hard to control 20 feet around you or 100 feet around you. Right. So there's a book that came out years ago. And don't shoot the messenger, as Jason said. I'm just telling you what the book said. But one of the points it made is if you look at the outside of a person's home or their inside of their car, and rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, generally their credit is the same number. Now, look, I'm not saying it. I know people are saying, you don't know I live in my car. I'm a real estate dude. I, I get it. <laughs> Exceptions to the rule, man. 
But generally, if you look at a person outside of their home, inside of the car, you read on one of skin, their financial affairs, their credit, it's about the same number. The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. Have you ever gotten a car that like you literally have to shift your feet just to put them down? There's cups and trash and whatever. Guess what else is trashed? Their financial situation, the credit, right? Um, maybe their, their uh, relationships, right? The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. You go to a person's house or you get in their car, it's freaking pristine. It looks like you can eat off the floorboard. Guess what else is pristine, right? The way, so if we can't control eight feet around us, our closet, our bed, our, right? Then we're not going to be able to control much. So if we learn to, I teach my guys on the internship program, control eight feet around you, then make it 20 feet, then try to make it a hundred feet, right? We got to control ourselves first, like Jason just said, control our environment. And uh, we're going to go far. And the alternative is worse. Because right? I do things every single day that scare the crap out of me. I don't want to do them, to be honest with you. But I'm like, dang it, man, I have to get myself into this. But then I just manage the fear and push through anyways. Right? And it's not that we don't feel the emotion, we just manage it. And we just push through and do it anyways. Because the alternative is worse. Like, I've been in this where I'm driving a freaking car with no freaking air. And the door doesn't open, the window. So I got to, like, open the freaking door to get my food at the drive-thru or pull forward and do the back window thing. That messes with my head, man. That creates files that I, it's going to make me work. It's going to put me more into scarcity. You know, or driving home to a house that I don't even want to live in every night. Not being able to afford insurance for the kids or provide the way for my family that they, I believe that they deserve to be whatever. So I'm doing these actions and it, I don't want to do it. I look at the lesser evil and I'm like, what about know this, know that, having this crap life, no heart, everything's hard. I'm like that terrifies me. I'm like, yeah, I'll do, I'll, I'll pick up a phone. <laughs> I'll say yes. I'll, I'll take that lunch or I'll, I'll go ahead and make time for this. You know, people say this all the time. The reason I didn't join Bellwether is I just didn't know how much time I had. <laughs> time for what? To be successful? Yeah, man, because you're too much. There's, like, there's no committal of you have to spend 40 hours a week in Bellwether. It could be one. But we're changing our environment. Like that's, The time is on you. That's up to you how, mu how much you want to uh, lean in. But there's no time thing. Like, We don't have enough time to be successful. That's an indicator that... We need to go back and look at our 168 hours a week and, and start retracing those steps back. I do this on a regular basis with my apprentices. I say, we got 168. How many hours a week, a night do you sleep? Seven, eight? Okay, cool. How many hours do you eat every day? About two. How about this? How about that? How about this? You're going to find that you have a gaping hole of way more time than you think. We really do. So we have to say yes, make some time, control eight feet around us, then 20 because the alternative is, is worse. Right? How many people in this room have had a moment today where they wanted to say yes, but they said no because they weren't sure if they could actually go through something that they wanted? How many people here still have one person in this room, at least, that they haven't introduced themselves to? <laughs> well, you know what to do. It's been a pleasure having all of you here. Uh, the, the way we usually close things out is by asking if there was Anybody you could have brought into the room today from any point, place, and time, who would you have loved to have had here? And any one of you can take this. Mm. I mean, you could be, you could choose anyone. You, you could say, 
and people have. I wish Jesus Christ was here. I wish Oprah was here. I wish, you know, <laughs> I wish my grandparents were here. You could say anything. And I don't know. The only thing I have on my mind right now, and I'd be interested in getting Jesus' opinion, but I don't know how I would fare. But uh, I think I'm always doing okay. But, but uh, I met a guy last week at a thing. His name's John Johnson. Not Don Johnson, John Johnson. <laughs> Big old burly dude. He's probably streaming right now. I think he is. And I've been thinking about him a lot. He's just one of those guys that you meet a certain type of human being and it's like, this guy is just, mm. and I, I just, one night last week, I just kind of gave him broad strokes about Bellwether, and he was like, what are you talking about? And literally, uh, the night, like midnight before we started yesterday morning, I sent him the link. I'm like, dude, I know it's last minute. Try to stream. I think he got on. And uh, I just have been thinking a lot about his business and his partnerships and what he's trying to do and how I can help him. And uh, I hope he's here. In, I think he's on stream, but it would be great to have him here. But uh, but I've just been, you know, I take things serious. So when people pose a situation or a problem, whatever, I actually put a lot of thought behind how I can help that person. And so he's been on my mind. Wish you were here, John. Mm. Hopefully you are. Dr. Farwell? Actually, I, I have done, I've done a lot of <clears throat> interviews. I mean, all of us have done a lot of interviews. And I was thinking, I was asking myself that question a little earlier today. And... I've got to be completely honest. The answer that came to me is that the two people I would really love to do an interview with are Dan and Jason. And I, I kid you not. It, I mean, I'm not making that up to be nice. I mean it. I, I, I thought about that. I thought, man, that would be spectacular. I mean, you're... Was this before I said, let's do another? <laughs> <laughs> Science is creating miracles, man. Jeez. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, there's a spectacular human beings who have been so tremendously enriching to my life and it's a, a dream of mine to do an interview with you guys so thank you for the opportunity yeah that's amazing jason i don't even know how to follow that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. um thank you for that um but at this point in moment as we know on the the war room podcast it's we always ask people to choose somebody for the moment right so for me, it would be my my neighbor. He's a former Marine. He's uh, one of the previous CEOs of Oracle. And he frequently, Monday nights, when we have a scotch and a cigar, kicks me in the head about business every Monday night. Because uh, he'll ask me, well, how's things going? And then I tell him. And then he takes the next 25 minutes to berate me about how much of an idiot I am. And <laughs> but then he lifts me back up. Um, and then, then at the end of the game, I usually lose, and we always bet 10 cents on the game. And uh, he'll, he'll say, well, so for the first part of our conversation, that was 10 grand, so... You make, write the check out for ten grand. You lost the bet, so ten thousand dollars, and make sure you don't forget that ten cents, <laughs> and leave the check. But anyway, but it's you know the one thing you can't replace is somebody that's took all those arrows in the back already. You know they have made all the sacrifices, all the mistakes all the things, and you can shortcut that, right? And people don't understand. There's shortcuts through this stuff, right? 
There are shortcuts. You just have to have an open mind to take them, the shortcuts. And if you do that, you know, you can truly skip years of time by listening to other people. And it doesn't always have to be some expert or something like that. Sometimes you just bang something off of your spouse or a friend or whatever, and they, they say something, and you're like, wow, that was profound. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Right? So just spend more time listening to people than you do all the time speaking to people. So yeah, that's what I love about the apprenticeship program. As somebody who's had several mentors and all of them gave me great points, but at some point I came across something they couldn't help me with. And it left me feeling like, even when I try to ask them about it, they don't know. They tell me, don't worry about that. Just focus on this because that's what they're good at. When I saw the formula that you broke down for how it is you're getting people from point A to point Z, where they are in actual <laughs> command of 100% of their environment, right? Mm -hmm. Which I'm beginning to see as I listen to you speak more and more how that comes about. It's really a ability to be an executive from within to without sort of a public victory is first a private victory kind sure. of thing, right? That's what makes me most excited about this. And I don't know where everybody else sits on the table, but everything we can do to not only continue to increase our 1% to 8% to 10% to 100% to where it starts impacting other people, that's like the highest level of resonance. And, yeah. and, and it's like the wind chimes, right? At some point, we start making music together that ripples out into the world. So I hope we all take full advantage of that while we're all here because we may not do this again. We don't know that for sure. But while we're here, we should maximize on that and leverage. I think that's one of the, <laughs> it's one of the things, right? So those are my thoughts. But it is tradition around here for Jason closes out. So all of them do that. But it's been an absolute pleasure being able to Thank sit up much. here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because you said 168 hours, right? I always close the show with thank you for being here on the show. We all have the same 168 hours every week. Thank you for taking the 30 minutes of your time to uh, come share your genius on our show and uh, impart your knowledge on the world because that's what we just did today. We just imparted it on the entire world. He's talking to you, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's our pleasure. Thank you very much. For Thank you. Right on. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.